Hello and welcome to the 25th episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Luca DeLosta. And I'm Zach Green. In today's episode, we will be talking about both the NFC and AFC Championship upcoming games in the NFL playoff race. Talking about the Capitals-Pens rivalry that's actually taking place tomorrow, Thursday. Talking about our reactions to the NBA All-Star voting. And giving our predictions for the NFL honors that's set to air in a couple weeks Luca, let's get into it. Why don't we jump into the NFC-AFC championships? First off, the NFC won the 49ers at Philadelphia. 49ers coming off that 19-12 win over the Dallas Cowboys. Eagles coming off a huge 38-7 win over division rival New York Giants. What are your first sights at this game? Well, if you look at the Eagles side of things, I think coming into the game, the Giants had a lot of false hope after beating the Vikings. And the Giants weren't the best team, so, I mean, people thought the Giants could have a little bit of chance in that game, but everyone in their head really knew that the Eagles were going to win. But winning by 31 in that fashion was crazy, and even in a playoff game, no matter who the teams are. So, you know, the Eagles, it's they haven't really had, you know, that big defensive test yet. So it'll be interesting to see them go up, up on the 49ers who continue to get it done with Brock Purdy and... You know, people keep thinking, when's he going to make that rookie mistake? But he just hasn't yet. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see Brock Purdy up against this number one rated passing defense. And it's going to be interesting because you have two very good offenses on both sides of the ball and two very good defenses on both sides of the ball. And especially when it comes to that defensive line, the Eagles, the best in the league, had 70 sacks this season. 49ers within that top 10, Nick Bosa who led the league with sacks this season. So it's going to be interesting how the offensive lines hold. And that's my key to this game is whichever line holds better, whoever wins that line of scrimmage is going to win. The 49ers have not given up 100 rushing yards to an opposing team in a very long time. And if you watch film from the game versus the Cowboys, Trent Williams absolutely locked up Micah Parsons. And that's a tough task for somebody who's second in odds to win defensive player of the year so you know we know who Trent Williams is we know who both the line you know Lane Johnson coming back off injury still a little banged up you know Jason Kelsey Jordan Mailata and all those other guys that you know are amazing and to hit on Trent Williams I mean he had 15 pass blocking snaps against Micah Parsons in last week's game gave up only one pressure that's just what Trent Williams does and you talk about Micah Parsons coming in as one of the most threatening players on the edge throughout the entire season, and he's absolutely just completely shut down. So let's move into the Eagles' offensive side of the ball coming out of that game. Eagles came off the bye. Week 18 was against the Giants. So they won 22-16. They had the wild card round off as they were the number one seed in the NFC. Hurts threw for 154 yards and two touchdowns on 66% completion percentage. He also ran the ball nine times for 34 yards and touchdown. We know how dangerous he is with his feet. And, you know, now going up where someone in the middle of the field, like Fred Warner, who's an all-pro linebacker. I mean, you look at kind of every phase and special group of each team, and they match up so well with the other side. Exactly, and that's what's going to make this game so fun to watch. There's really both teams incredibly well-coached incredible defenses all it's just it's really going to be whatever team makes that one little mistake maybe it's too many penalties you don't know yet 
whatever team makes that mistake, it's it's going to be very costly. And that's where it comes up that rookie mistake. Will Brock Purdy make it in this game? And, you know, you say he could, but then you look at the Eagles side of the ball and Nick Sirianni's only coached one playoff game. So, you know, even how good of a coach he's been in the regular season, if he's going up against, you know, a list of coaches off, Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, a couple years ago, John Harbaugh. But these elite coaches in the league, if you know, you can't, as a play caller, you can't make a mistake in that sense. And Jalen Hurts only his third playoff game ever. So, you know, these young quarterbacks are playing amazing in the playoffs, but you just never know it can go either way. It really can. I think for the Eagles, it's going to be getting A.J. Brown involved. You talk about a guy who only had three catches on six targets for 22 yards against a giant secondary, which is probably a bit worse than this 49ers secondary. And they are going to have a lot to do. But I, I think that the Eagles come out with this one. I, I just feel like Brock Purdy is going to hit He's going to hit a barrier at some point. He hasn't lost a game. He's mystery relevant. It just seems like it's too good to be true right now. And I think he hits a wall here with this Eagles defense. With Brock Purdy, his job, people say, you know, he's, he's good. He's good. Yeah, he's, he's decent. But the system he's in, it's just if nothing's going your way for the 49ers, you can hand the ball off to CMC 10 times in a row on one drive, and you can have a touchdown easily. That's what they did versus Seahawks to open the half. They had, I think, eight or nine consecutive runs with Chris McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. So, you know, now Debo Samuel back fully healthy, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, all these teams kind of maybe discount the Chiefs a little bit, have so many weapons on offense, receiving and rushing, that in great quarterback play, it's these teams are scary. It's just crazy because Brock Purdy just doesn't – he plays so simple. He really – like, obviously I'm not saying he's on the level of Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, or those guys, but he plays at a simple game. You watched Joe Burrow, which we'll get into later, against those Bills. He played so simple, and it was so successful, and that's what Purdy does – and it's led him to so much success so early. Well, what the good teams do is they can win in many different ways. And, you know, talked about the Bengals. They can win in games pure rushing, you know, with no Jamar Chase, no Joe Mixon. They can also win in games where they have to pass a lot. You look at versus the Chiefs, you know, pretty much every time when they've been down, besides this year in the regular season, the like, they, they just have, that that's how games go. And you can win any way you kind of have to. The defense step... All four defenses have stepped up big time. Look at the Chiefs versus the Jags. Two def- two turnovers in the fourth quarter. Eagles and 49ers defense are probably the best two defenses in the playoffs remaining. So it's it, it's it can come down to the you know a turnover in the first quarter can really mess up your game. And now we would like to shift over to the AFC Championship. Luca, should we call it Burrowhead? If Joe Burrow goes on and beats Patrick Mahomes four consecutive times, you may as well. I mean, if he does that, yes, Patrick Mahomes is playing with a high ankle sprain, which usually a player's out three, six weeks, I believe, on a high ankle sprain. We saw what he was doing last week. He could barely move, he was hopping to hand the ball off. But man, Joe Burrow, he's really honestly, that game against Josh Allen proved that Joe Burrow is better than Josh Allen. And he's asserted himself as easily a top three quarterback in this league. And those three are three of the quarterbacks remaining. You have Jalen Ertz, Patrick Holmes, Joe Burrow. I don't think anyone can make an argument after what we saw last week that Josh Allen is 
better than Joe Burrow. Coming in to every game that Joe Burrow's played versus, you know, a high-caliber AFC team, they've always been the underdogs. And every time, Joe Burrow continues, continues, continues to prove everyone wrong. I mean, the Bengals' late stretch of games in the regular season coming into the playoffs, they were projected to only win two or three. They went on a 10-game win streak. Joe Burrow is doing things that, you know, people usually don't see often. He's hasn't thrown a turnover. He hasn't thrown a pick in the playoffs. He only threw, I think, two last year. So the things that he's doing is amazing. We'll get into some of the stats. So Bengals coming off a dominant win over the Bills, 27-10, like Lucas said. Chiefs coming off a narrow win versus the Red Hot Jaguars, 27-20. The Bengals did beat the Chiefs earlier this season, 27-24. And a key note, Hayden Hurst and Joe Mixon didn't play in that game. And look what Joe Mixon did versus the Bills last week with the O-line play, which we'll get into. And Bengals beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead last year to go to the Super Bowl in another 27-24 game. So I'll let you start off with the Bengals side. Joe Burrow, I mean, you, I can't stop talking about him really after watching him. And that first drive went 7-for-7, seven seven, scored a touchdown, and just sliced the Bills' defense like it was a slice of cheese. Finished the game 23-for-36, 242 yards, two touchdowns, rating of over 100 in poor conditions when it comes to passing. It's incredible. It just seems like he, when the lights shine the brightest, he shows up in a swaggy outfit and gets the job done. And it's so amazing to know as a Bengals fan all, all those years of storylines of you know the Bengals can't get it done when it's clutch time and the Bengals would do this Bengals would do that they proved everyone wrong so we'll get into the stats he went 23 of 36 for 242 yards two touchdowns a rating of 101.9 connected early and often with Jamar Chase who had five catches for 61 yards and a touchdown one was almost a touchdown they called it back and two yards behind him, Hayden Hurst with five catches for 59 yards. So both tight ends in this game getting active. Dawson Knox led the Bills in receiving. And then can we talk about this run game and O-line? Coming into the game, the Bengals had three starting O-linemen who played together for 15 weeks out. They had Alex Kappa, jo- Alex Kappa right guard, Jonah Williams left tackle, and Leal Collins right tackle, who's out for the season with the ACL. So to replace them was... Jackson Carmen, left tackle, Max Sharping playing the right guard, and Akeem Energy on the right tackle. And that was the big question coming in. Everybody thought that the Bengals O-line was going to get absolutely clobbered, but they held really well. Joe Burrow only sacked once, hit eight times, but he was only sacked once not only because the offensive line played an incredible game, but he, he was being slippery in the pocket again. He was able to step up and avoid pressure when it came to him. And he makes passes downfield. That first touchdown, he was rolling to his left, and he just saw Jamar, who did what he did after the play was starting to dissolve, still kept it alive, got a touchdown. And with the O-line playing like the way it is, it gives so much relief to, you know, Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams, who want to get back out there. And, you know, what I think when the Bengals go on to win this game, they could ultimately be healthy for the Super Bowl, so the Bengals aren't relying on guys that can pick and choose who they want to put in, you know, some guys in and out. Because, you know, with the two-week break from this game to the Super Bowl, you, a lot of guys have time to repair him. God forbid Patrick Mahomes make it. I'm sure his ankle would be fine. You know, Bengals fan here definitely want to see the Bengals succeed. But 
O-line paired with the running game. Joe Mixon, 20 carries for 105 yards. Samaji Piran also had a couple couple good runs in there, too. And when you look at the matchup versus the Chiefs defense, what do you think Bengals, what do you think favors the Bengals? It's their, their pass attack. The Chiefs do not have a secondary that can match the Bengals' wide receiver and tight end room. You cover, double cover, Jamar Chase, go ahead. T. Higgins is there. Tyler Boyd is there. Hayden Hurst is there. Those are all guys who will torch you in single coverage. And you're seeing other players like Irwin. He's getting involved here and there when there's nothing else. They, they have so many weapons. You cannot beat them. I think they have a better matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs than they do against any of those NFC teams left. Moving on to the defensive side, as Eli Apple said, Cancun on three, responding to a Stefan Diggs comment. That was a whole thing. But this defense, call him Ludini, absolute masterclass. The Bills started the game with two three and outs. Josh Allen went 25 of 42 for 265 yards, no touchdowns, one rushing, no passing. One interception, which came late in the game by Cam Taylor Bray, his first career interception, and a rating of 68.1. And Josh Allen, he didn't throw a turnover. He didn't play a terrible game, but he did not by any means play a good game. He missed Stefan Diggs on a deep shot early in the game, could have hit him there, and he just seemed off a bit. He didn't use the, his legs as a bunch of people predicted he would. But that all comes with the play calling of Lou Anarumo and what he did. And you say he didn't really use his legs, but that was because the Bengals contained him so well, and that started on the D-line. And in the second half, which I really liked, and I saw a lot more in the second half, Mike Hilton came steaming off, and he got one was basically a fumble. It was almost counted as a sack. They called it an incomplete pass early in the game. I think it was Trey Hendrickson who had a sack, but he threw it away at the last second. So you know, a lot of these things, and Mike Hilton was also hitting hard on Josh Allen. Mike Hilton being, I think, 5'9 or 5'10 is probably one of the hardest-hitting defenders on the Bengals' team. So when you contain a quarterback like that and don't let him use his legs and your secondary is playing really well for the players that they have, I mean, defense offenses can't really do anything. But, Luca, let's talk about the elite Russian defense of the Bengals. The Bengals' rush defense was very good. I mean, you look, they weren't able, the Bills weren't able not only to pass the ball, they could not establish a running game, and then the lead starts to expand, and they're forced to pass the ball. And so the Bengals already, who were playing stellar when it came to pass defense, they were able to just sit on their sweet spot and play to their strengths and absolutely torch this the Bills just look like a peewee team out there. I'm just going to say it. The Bills look like a peewee football team out there trying to play against the Bengals. And the Bengals have done really well. Is In big moments, they've shut down your best receiver. And Stefan Diggs, four catches for 35 yards. The quarterback play didn't help that stat line at all. He was missed on some throws. But I mean, still, he, he Stefan Diggs has to get open, and he didn't really do that. And... All credit to Bengals, you know, to the Bengals defenders, Eli Apple, Cam Taylor Britt, Jesse Bates was there, Von Bell. You look at, you know, Dax Hill was in the end zone versus Dawson Knox. So, great game altogether by the defense. And something I want to point out, DJ Reader, when he was injured earlier in the season, the Bengals were one of the worst rushing defenses, I think, allowing near five yards per carry. When he's on the field since then, 
their top five. So moving into this game versus the Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco is someone that can really, really stretch out your defense. He had 12 carries from 95 yards and a burst of speed. And he's not initially the receiving back. Jarek McKinnon is the receiving back, but I mean, he kick returns. He can catch the ball. And they've expanded his role in the pass game as the season has gone on. But Pacheco has done well behind the Chiefs O-line that also has progressively gotten better as the season has gone on. I mean, they have Creed Humphrey as their center, who seems last year was the best rookie when it came to offensive line, no doubt. And they they have a good offensive line. It's going to be a tough matchup for the Chiefs purely because their defense. It's not that their offense can't get it done. It's because their defense can't hold the Bengals. And not a lot of defenses this year can say they've held the Bengals. You know, the Ravens probably... Only in the Browns, probably one of the only teams. So coming into this game, versus the, off the game versus the Jaguars, you know Mahomes had the high ankle sprain. MRI confirmed it today. We learned that he did practice. Don't know how much he was involved. Going into it, I assume they're gonna shoot his let shoot, give him a numbing injection before to help ease the pain. Probably try to make it like he doesn't even feel the leg, but he's still not gonna you know have his full Mahomes speed and. The Bengals defense, do you want to approach it as, you know, I'm sure they already have a plan, just as a fan perspective, do you want to approach it as make him stay in the pocket and make him pass and try to pressure him that way or flush him outside the pocket and make him run, feel uncomfortable, and then make a mistake? The thing is, Patrick Mahomes, you never know when he will pull a huge game out of nowhere. And what he was able to do to be able to finish that game last week just shows you how good of a player he is. And – Good of a player, but you know, a little, little risky because if he were to re-enter that thing, that's his say goodbye to even if they wanted to play in this game. But a big reason to his success is Mr. Travis Kelsey, one reception behind the playoff leading receptions. He had 14, 98 yards, two touchdowns, one from Mahomes, one from Henny, who replaced Mahomes for a drive. But I mean, old reliable, just sits in the middle of the field. I don't know how he does it. And a huge reason, not only because I just don't like the Bengals, I'm just going to say I don't like the Bengals, I want the Chiefs to win this game, is because if the Eagles win their game, the Chiefs win this game, the Kelsey brothers, who have a podcast themselves, are going to make an episode the week probably of the Super Bowl and the week after the Super Bowl. And I think it'd be a lot of fun to listen to those two go at it before and after the Super Bowl. So I'm kind of biased towards the Chiefs and the Eagles in those games, but I also am rooting for the Chiefs because that was my playoff or Super Bowl prediction when we last recorded two weeks ago was I wanted the Chiefs to win, and I predicted them to get all the way to the Super Bowl and win, but Patrick Mahomes, you don't know. I mean, he threw no interceptions last week on one leg. You have to assume he's gotten better since that game when it comes to his ankle, but not much. And that's when, you know, the Bengals' defense with turnovers really comes into play. If you remember all the way back in Week 13, Travis Kelsey was, you know, not stopped but limited. Four catches for 56 yards and that probably game-changing fumble by Jermaine Pratt. We were wa- watching that together. But it's, it's going to be a shoot. I'm, you know, people are saying Mahomes is hurt. It's not going to be that really big a game. Bengals are favored in the odds. But when you have a team, two teams like this, it's always going to be close. You see that going into the the Bills-Bengals game last week, but you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, and 
in a playoff game, you're never really out of it with him. But on the other side, you're not really out of it with Joe Burrow ever. So it's going to be really interesting. It could come down to the fourth quarter. As a Bengals fan, I hope it doesn't. I'm not clinching my teeth in the last two minutes like I did last year. Boy, Luca, was that a stressful one. It was it was a good game, and it's always going to be a good game. You mentioned that earlier. I feel like every single time these two teams face, the game goes both teams 25-plus points. It just You know it's going to be a shootout. It's just a matter, again, who makes the mistake? Like Travis Kelsey fumbling in the last time, who makes the mistake, and how does that change the momentum of the game? Moving on to a rivalry that is close to our hearts in the Caps versus the Pens. Actually played tomorrow night, the 25th, sorry, 26th, Thursday 26th at Capital One Arena. And the Caps really want to win this game. Pittsburgh beat them last time, not a good sight. Ovi getting back in the lineup last night, scoring a goal. They did lose to the Avalanche. So, Luke, I'll let you start it off. You can't, you can't get better than this in hockey, Especially if you're either from Pittsburgh or a Pittsburgh fan or a Caps fan, it can't get better than this. These two teams have faced each other so many times. I mean, you talk about all time or at regular season, excuse me, Pittsburgh leads 120, 99, 16, and 6. And when it comes to the playoffs, the Penguins have beaten the Caps 40 times to the Caps beating the Penguins 28 times. You go back to when the Pens won two Stanley Cups in a row, 2016, 17, and then the Caps won 2018. The winner of the Penguins Cap Series went on to win the Stanley Cup. There's just so much these two teams can go back and forth about that make it so much fun to watch. And the fun part about it is it's been going on for so many years. And people talk about, you know, Ovi, Ovi versus Crosby. But you look past all the other weapons that both teams have. And, you know, the Caps have been pretty well, pretty good as, as of late. Not the couple past games, but... In the month of December, I think they've only only lost three or four. So you come into this game, Kemper leading the league with five shutouts, and you just really hope he doesn't make a crucial mistake tomorrow night. I'll be there. Both games I've gone to this season for the Caps, he's made a turtle awareness type stoppage of the puck, which God forbid I hope doesn't hope I don't hope that happens again. But going into this game, what are the standings looking like? The Caps lost yesterday. They both played yesterday. The Caps were up two points, and the Caps should still be up on them. I'm going to check the Penguins' score real quick. But the Caps should still be up on them because they had two wins up on them, and whatever team has more wins should be ahead. But it really matters. I mean, both teams are in a wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. So they're both... They're both in the playoffs as of right now, and the Penguins won 7-6, so they want a shootout in themselves with the win there, but it really does matter, not because of playoffs or standings. It's just pride. You want to be able to say, I've beat them. You just want to, and the Caps cannot go out on a loss in their own arena. Again, 4-1 was the last score in Capital One. You cannot lose again to the Penguins in Capital One. And the fun thing that, you know, People love watching is the physicality. And, you know, both teams so physical. Chris Letang, you know, Tom Wilson, he's going to his first game back for a Penn's rivalry, which will be very exciting. You know, TJ Oshie, Ovechkin, Backstrom will be back. I mean, we're getting into real Caps hockey now, and it's really exciting and fun to watch. 
And, you know, they're still missing Chris Letang, who's on IR. But you can never really count. You look at all sports, you can't really count division divisional rivals out of it. You really can't. It's like football. It really is. These teams play each other. They know each other so well, you don't know what's going to happen. But as you said, the Penguins last time did not face Tom Wilson, who they hate. So does everyone who's not a Caps fan. And they did not face Backstrom. So they have a lot more weapons, the Caps, to work with. Now moving into the NBA All-Star voting. Started off with some of the top vote-getters for the Western Conference, the front court top three, LeBron James, who is a little under 2 million more votes than the second place of Nikola Jokic. And this is from, as of six, day, six days ago, from the third fan returns. Third place, Anthony Davis with 3.8 million. And the Eastern Conference front court leading it with just over 100, 100 more thousand than the second place is Giannis Antetokounmpo, second place of Kevin Durant, third place Jason Tatum with 4.5. And then into the Western Conference guards leading it, no surprise here, Stephen Curry, about 200,000 above number two, who is arguably having the better season, Luka Doncic. And then three star John Morant with 1.9, who's a big gap from Luka to Ja, which is pretty surprising. And then guards in the Eastern, number one is Kyrie Irving with about 100 more thousand than number two with Donovan Mitchell. And then number three, Jalen Brown with just over two million. And when I first look at this, do you notice any starters? Because for me, it's got to be Austin Reeves. Eighth right now in the West when it comes to guard votings. Guard for the Lakers, averaging only 10 points, three assists, or three rebounds and two assists, shooting under 50% from the field. Why not toss him in there with all these other players? De'Aaron Fox, Devin Booker under him. It's one of the things that springs up to me the most is the difference from Luka Doncic to John Morant. But then Luka Doncic is only 200,000 under Curry and arguably being top five in MVP right now. I mean, that's kind of crazy to me. You'd say Jaws having close season to Curry. So... All-Star, Pro Bowl, fan voting can really skew things. That's why, you know, for NFL, like, all pro more, it's not fan voted. I don't know. It Players who deserve it and sometimes don't get the recognition probably can be a little frustrating. And definitely, and that's – but for the media, they probably love it because it gives them something to talk about. It has something – it gives you something to converse about – You'd be like, did this guy get snubbed from the All-Star Pro Bowl, whatever it is. You might, you'll definitely see that. You see it every single year. Someone will not make it who statistically should have made it. But again, fan voting, it comes down to who has the biggest name. And that's why Curry and Doncic are miles in front of the rest of the guards for the West. Leading the votes right now in the whole thing, as of six days ago, LeBron James, I think 160 points away from the all-time leading score. About four or five games, so should be should be a pretty fun game. And for the first time, the teams are being picked the night of, which should be pretty fun and pretty spontaneous. So, are you surprised by anyone? It was Austin Reeves. Why Austin Reeves is in there, I have no idea. He's not, he's not a star player. He's averaging 10 points a game, and he's in here with guys who— Shaquille Gilch- Alexander averaging 30— Doncic averaging 30, Curry, best three-point shooter of all, like, he's in a list with absolute 
ballers, and he's just a player on the Lakers. And one more. Are you – do you think anyone should have more or less votes? I think Tyrese Halliburton. He was a surprise as well because he's not a guy. The Pacers, not the best team in the league. But Halliburton, he's averaging the most assists per game with 10-plus assists per game. He's scoring over 20 a night. He He's balling out over in Indiana. And he's not getting the recognition sitting right now eighth. I mean, you have LaMelo Ball, who hasn't played much this season due to injury. DeMar DeRozan has also been dealing with injury. So, again, fan voting, it's the name. And Tyrese Halliburton is not the biggest name when it comes to the NBA. And moving on into the NFL honors, Luca, I will let you go first. So, we'll just go down the list, say who we have, maybe a little bit something after that. And why don't we start with... The MVP, for me, it's got to be Patrick Mahomes. For me, it's Mahomes as well. I think Burrow is clo- will be closer in voting than people think. He's, you know, top three. I think it was Allen, Burrow, Mahomes, and then I think Hertz was four. And then Jay Jettas was the receiver in that group for the finalist. The finalist, yeah. And look at Jay Jettas. It's so hard that it's kind of frustrating because it's very uncommon for a— uh, non-quarterback to win the award you have to you'd probably have to get the 2000 mark and you know probably 16 touchdowns which is crazy but even then he still might not even get it which is crazy because the mvp look at the mvp of your team not in in the league and the stuff he's doing is crazy but moving on to coach of the year i think it'll go to brian DeBull. you could possibly possibly look at dan campbell but I think what the Bull did, turning that organization around to a playoff berth first in six years and then a playoff win, is pretty good. I'm going to go with another coach who turned the franchise around, Doug Peterson. You look at the Jaguars, they were 3-14 and last year. They made the playoffs. Obviously, playoffs don't count for this as regular season. But what he was able to do with the Jaguars is turn them around into a franchise that made the playoffs by clinching a division that has Derrick Henry in it. You've got to give a ton of credit to what he's done down in Jacksonville. And moving on into comeback player of the year, I have Saquon Barkley. I think he has minus 800 odds. The next person thinks plus 400, so pretty much a lock that he wins. Great year, great comeback off a pretty bad injury. I think he was top five in rushing yards, top five in rushing touchdowns, so a great year for him. He's probably going to win it, and I just want to put in another name is Geno Smith. He was able to also lead the Seahawks to the to a playoff game, put up half of a football game against the 49ers, lost it, but he was eighth in passing yards, fourth when it came to touchdowns, did throw 11 interceptions, but he had a huge year this year. And moving on to the Offensive Player of the Year, I have Justin Jefferson. I think he'll probably win it. Amazing year, almost one of the best wide receiver seasons ever. He completely took the league by storm as, you know, he's already one of the best receivers in the game. People are saying he's number one. I think I probably still have to go with Devontae Adams. But Jefferson, again, he could win it. He's up there, but I, it was a toss-up for me between him and Hurts. It could be biased. I love watching Jalen Hurts play, but he was able to rush for 13 touchdowns on the ground. He threw the ball really well and led, led the Eagles— to a very, very good record, number one in the NFC, and they lost two games without him. 
So he really made an impact, and you look at the impact he made on the Eagles. They lost two games that he missed. But the counter-argument that I think the only way he would get it is if he was you know, better odds than Burrow in the MVP because the last quarterback to win Offensive Player of the Year also won MVP, which was Mahomes in 2018, and that year was just crazy. 15 touch- 50 touchdowns is unbelievable. No, again, another conversation to have. But, you know, Hurts, yeah, you might get it. Definitely one of the best quarterbacks this year, but probably a stretch there. And then... Defensive Player of the Year, Nick Post. I think we could both agree on that one. NFL sack leader, amazing player, MBS Small Bear, Ohio State legend, you know, everything. If he doesn't win it, I think that he got snubbed. Offensive Rookie of the Year, I have to go with Kenneth Walker. Great breakout, a great player. Gonna be Seahawks should be happy they have him. It could be Garrett Wilson, but I think it'll be Walker. I'm throwing another curveball. Give me Brock Purdy. He did not lose a single game as a rookie. Came in in a situation where, I mean, they lost Trey Lance at the beginning of the year. Lost Jimmy G middle to second half of the year. Brock Purdy just steps in and says, you know what? I'm that guy. Brock Purdy is that guy, and I think he's going to win rookie of the year. For Brock Purdy, it'll be a little more challenging because they do vote before the playoffs. So he only has a couple wins under his belt before leading him to the championship game. So... We never know. Defensive Rookie of the Year, I think it'll go to Sauce Gardner. It should, I think it should go to Hutchinson, but with the media around Sauce Gardner probably being a top you know, seven top to five cornerback already with his length and just great ability to play the position, I think he'll get it. Yeah, I'm in agreement again here. Sauce, I think, has to win it. We saw what he was able to do against elite receivers like Stefan Diggs. He's... Again, a very, very good receiver and, or excuse me, cornerback, and he should win rookie defensive rookie of the year. And then best moment of the year, I had the Justin Jefferson one-handed grab in the Bills versus Vikings game. I think that was a fourth and like twenty-eight or something, fourth and nineteen, something like that. And I just I don't know how they caught it. It was a spectacular catch, but my moment of the year that Chandler Jones forty-eight yard fumble recovery to win it against the Patriots I think that was a huge moment right at the end and I think that's that's going to be the moment of the year one thing to look out for our TikTok page tough take we will be posting momentarily some great content look out every couple days we'll have some new content rolling out definitely go check it out should be lots of fun make a new community on TikTok should be Plenty of success. Been Zach Green. Luca DeLosta. Thank you for listening.